You are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, June 1st, 2021. I'm Claudio Mendonça, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Jim Crow Road, Jim Crow Creek. Some people in Downeyville want these names changed, while others think it's a symptom of cancel culture run amok. Tonight, the California Report talks to LA Times reporter Brittany Mejia about the controversy. Then, after a look at regional headlines and weather, Paul Emery talks to retired economist Gary Zimmerman about inflation. We close tonight with a commentary from Mark Cunaberti about meme stocks and how social media factors into the new trading landscape. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We begin in San Bernardino County, where a sheriff's deputy has died in the line of duty. San Bernardino County Sheriff John McMahon made the announcement late last night. It's my sad duty to report that despite the heroic life-saving measures of the staff at the hospital, Sergeant Dominic Baca, 43 years old and 17-year veteran of the Sheriff's Department, has succumbed to his injuries. McMahon says yesterday afternoon, Sheriff deputies spotted a motorcyclist without a license plate in the community of Yucca Valley. When they attempted to pull him over, he drove off, leading to a high-speed chase. They later found the motorcycle abandoned, which is when investigators say the motorcyclist opened fire on the responding deputies, hitting Sergeant Vaca. Deputies returned fire, killing the suspect. Let's turn to history. In recent years, Californians have debated whether or not to change the names of places because of their historically racist associations. The ski resort of Squaw Valley, for instance, is changing its name because Squaw is a derogatory term for Native Americans. The Northern California town of Fort Bragg considered changing its name because it was named for a general who fought for the Confederacy, but decided not to. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with the Los Angeles Times reporter Brittany Mejia about the latest of these debates in the rural Sierra County town of Downeyville, about 100 miles from Sacramento, all over one specific name. Jim Crow Road, Jim Crow Canyon, Jim Crow Creek, they're all named after this miner, um, or said to be named after this miner, um, who, you know, found a lot of gold. Some people say he discovered the canyon. There's pretty much really mixed reviews about who this man was, what his name was, uh, and just his story in general. And so for many of the property owners who live on this road or in this area, I imagine, you know, a lot of the social outrage over names is sort of fueling their fight. Yes, definitely. I feel like if you look at what's happening across the country and what's been happening, especially in the last year or so, you know, names getting changed or thing, you know, and that's it's just a classic example that's playing out in this small town. Um, And, you know, but the residents there or the property owners, there's like four of them who brought it to the county supervisor and they were like, you know, we it's time we changed the name. And one of the places on the road is actually a resort. Um, And so they have people booking rooms and they're, you know, obviously really offended by the name. They even made the point where it's like, you know, within this last years or so, like it's worse, like and it makes sense. I mean, there's more sensitivity about things like this. As is the case in most of these situations where there is the possibility of renaming, there is debate and there is other opinions. Not everyone necessarily agrees with removing the name, correct? Right, exactly. I think what's been coming up here is people kind of bemoaning uh, woke cancel culture. Uh, When this first came before the the 
County Board of Supervisors in April, I mean, all the letters that were written in were about cancel culture and were people complaining and saying, you know, we can't let cancel culture take over our community. And, you know, one of the the residents in Downeyville actually like did a Facebook post and it got like over a hundred or at least a hundred comments. And it was just people arguing back and forth, you know, on one side saying, you know, that we can't just get rid of everything, get rid of our history. And those on the other side saying, no, like we have to to change with the times and, and be more sensitive, especially now. And important to note, uh, you know, you hear a lot about this in bigger cities, you know, San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles. Um, but this is popping up more and more in rural parts of the state as well, correct? Right, exactly. I mean, that's what's interesting to know as well. It's It's kind of similar to what's just kind of been popping up elsewhere. And the reaction is very different maybe than what you would find in a place like Los Angeles or San Francisco. That was Brittany Mejia, LA Times Metro reporter. Brittany, thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. The Sierra County Board of Supervisors is holding a public hearing on the renaming of Jim Crow Road later this morning. And later today, Governor Gavin Newsom will join Secretary of State Shirley Weber and Attorney General Rob Bonta at a virtual event to mark the inaugural convening of California's first-in-the-nation statewide reparations task force. The launch coincides with another historic event that's also spurring calls for reparations, the 100-year anniversary of the Tulsa Massacre. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports Oakland Congresswoman Barbara Lee was among the officials in Tulsa this week. Lee visited Tulsa, Oklahoma on Monday to commemorate the massacre where a mob of white people killed hundreds of black residents in the Greenwood district known as Black Wall Street. She met with Viola Fletcher and her brother, two of the few people who lived through the massacre still alive today. Lee says all survivors and their descendants need to be made whole. And never, ever have those survivors and descendants been compensated, the damage has not been repaired. And it's a shame and disgrace that this country has allowed what has happened in uh, Greenwood, Oklahoma, to be swept under the rug. And she says that history needs to be told, in spite of several states recently passing laws limiting how racism is discussed in schools. For The California Report, I'm Holly J. McDeed. 107-year-old Viola Fletcher worked as an assistant welder in California shipyards during World War II before moving back to Oklahoma. Late last month, she testified before Congress in support of reparations. And finally, a couple of weeks ago, we told you about an effort to recall three out of five county supervisors in Northern California's Shasta County because they supported the state's efforts to control the spread of COVID-19 by closing schools and businesses. Now the county's registrar of voters says a special election could cost Shasta County up to $640,000. The recall campaign is being pushed by conservative activists who critics have called right-wing militants and conspiracy theorists. Meanwhile, recall supporters claim they're being intimidated by the Shasta County District Attorney's Office, which they say has sent investigators to their office to make sure the recall effort is being conducted in a legal manner. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food on the web at theschmidt.org. The law firm Perkins Cooey, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at perkinscoie.com. And Blue Shield of California, 
closing the health care gap since 1939. Learn more about their commitment to quality and fair health care for every Californian at news.blueshieldca.com. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, June 1st. Yeah, June 1st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. The Union newspaper of Grass Valley is reporting today that the Nevada City man who died last month after his trailer caught fire has been identified. Dean Moses, 61, died May 19th as a result of injuries he sustained when his mobile home caught fire on property near the 700 block of West Broad Street. The fire started after Moses had apparently improperly wired a space heater with extension cords, which resulted in an electrical short that ignited the blaze. Sam Goodspeed, division chief of the Grass Valley, Nevada City Fire Department, said in a statement, quote, It appears as though he had some kind of oil-filled radiator-type space heater and had strung it together with a couple of extension cords back to a garage, and there was some kind of short in the equipment that would have caused the fire, end quote. The Nevada County Coronavirus Dashboard is showing nine new cases today for a total of 142 active cases. Five cases are listed as hospitalized. And in regional weather, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear, with a low around 66. Tomorrow, sunny, with a high near 93. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight will be mostly clear, with a low around 49 degrees. Tomorrow will be sunny, with a high near 85. And finally, in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight clear with a low around 59 degrees. Tomorrow should be sunny with a high around 95. Next, Paul Emery talks with retired economist Gary Zimmerman about inflation. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, wealth management advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Welcome back to KVMR, Gary. Um, I think today we're going to talk about inflation, and it seems that everyone is discussing that since the April inflation statistics came out recently. Tell us about it. Oh, thank you, Paul. Yes, inflation has certainly been in the news as the economy rebounds from the short but severe COVID-19 recession in 2020. You know, and we've got a strong recovery, it looks like, going now that's being driven by vaccinations, reopening the economy, and support from monetary policy, low interest rates, and fiscal policy, the economic relief spending. Um, and now you've added in, you know, additional potential fiscal policy spending for infrastructure, and you're looking at a federal budget deficit proposal by President Biden of about $6 trillion. So, you know, these, this additional spending has caused some analysts and economists to be concerned that the added spending could cause the economy to overheat and create inflationary pressure that would drive up the overall level of prices or, or inflation. Uh, Gary, Congress has given the Federal Reserve two goals for monetary policy. And uh, now how close is the Fed to reaching its goals? And those goals are full employment and low and stable inflation, I guess around 2% a year. How are things looking? 
Well, the Fed is, I think the Fed is likely to want to continue helping the economy, at least for a short while, because it hasn't met either goal yet, um, at least consistently. You know, the, and the Fed certainly will be closely monitoring the economy for signs of overheating and inflation and evaluating policy uh, at when they meet later on this month. Um, but, you know, clearly we're not at full employment yet. The unemployment rate in April was 6.1%. You know, that's well above the 4% policymakers uh, think would be full employment in the long run. And we still have over 8 million people unemployed from the pre-COVID peak. Um, so there's lots of room for improvement in the labor markets, you know. And, you know, you know, in terms of inflation, we've had a, a now a, a month or two of above average inflation. But that's, you know, I think not enough for, to convince the Fed to make a monetary policy change just yet. Um, but, you know, we, we're, you know, the last April figures were above the Fed's 2% goal. Um, and, you know, that's that's important. So, you know, I think many policymakers, including and, and many economists, expect the inflation rate to rise above the Fed's 2% goal, at least temporarily, as the economy recovers rapidly in 2021. Um, you know, and that, that, you know, faster GDP growth and falling unemployment rates, you know, is something that folks, you know, could could worry about, you know, starting to drive up the inflation numbers. Gary, can you explain how economists describe what inflation is in today's economy? Why is the inflation rate important? What is inflation? Well, the inflation uh, measure that economists use are basically designed to measure the cost of a basket of goods, lots of goods that consumers purchase over time, like, say, a year. And it's based on surveys of thousands of um, prices of items in the economy, you know, goods and services. And so that surveys used to track or those surveys are used to track how the overall price level is behaving or overall prices of goods consumers buy rising. Are they flat? Are they falling? And, and that's important to us. You know, if the price level is rising at 1% a year, as in some recent years, or 2% a year, the Fed's average goal today, or or at 4% like in April over the year, or, you know, or 12% like in the late 1970s inflation, you know, that, that makes a big difference. And, you know, you know, inflation is important because it reduces your purchasing power. So, you know, for example, if you had a, a 10% inflation in a year, it means it would mean that with the same amount of income or or money, you would your spending would only buy about you know 10% less of goods and services on average. So, you know, it is important in terms of your purchasing power. Well, how did the April uh, 2021 inflation number compare to inflation? Let's say in the 70s, it was. Pretty high back then, as I understand it. <laughs> well, yeah, Paul, you know, 4% inflation in the April numbers is, you know, far below the late 1970s rate of inflation and in sort of probably the 12 to 15% range. Yeah, still even a temporary jump in, you know, prices is, you know, 4% is a warning. Uh, so, but, you know, remember also, put things into perspective, the Fed does have policy tools like raising interest rates and uh, slowing or cutting back their purchases of bonds that will slow the economy and and um, work to lower the inflation rate. And, you know, I think it's clear that the Fed will use those tools if the policymakers start to see evidence that the economy is overheating, you know, growing too fast and, and causing inflation numbers to rise. Gary, uh, one more question. Is there any evidence that you see that suggests that this is a temporary spike in inflation and not a surge in inflation that will be an ongoing problem. 
Oh, Paul, always the easy questions. Um, yes, I think most of the measures of expected inflation also seem to be relatively well anchored near or around the Fed's 2% average inflation goal. And they have not jumped dramatically with the April increase in, you know, and in, in the increase in the April inflation data. Um, you know, and I think that's true both from the financial markets where investors and lenders quickly price in any increases in inflation expectations um, into higher interest rates, um, you know, and especially on those longer term bonds and mortgages. And, you know, there have been some increases there, but nothing like the, uh, you know, basically doubling of the more or more than doubling of the um, inflation numbers that we saw in the in the April statistics. So, you know, this could very well be a one time number. Um, we're also not seeing dramatic increases in inflation expectations coming from the surveys of businesses, consumers <laughs> or even economists. Um, you know, of course, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be watching all these indicators. And certainly uh, you know, the, the Fed economists and policymakers who are monitoring and analyzing inflation, you know, for their meeting in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, we'll we'll be doing that. I can assure you, Gary. Thank you so much for sharing your uh, experience and knowledge with KVMR. Thank you, Paul. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve in San Francisco, and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria where he teaches courses in economics and finance. You can listen to the full-length version of that interview on our website, kvmr.org, under the News tab. Finally, we close with a commentary from Mark Cunaberti about meme stocks. Welcome to another edition of Your Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaberti. The meme stocks are on fire again. You remember these? My last newscast on the meme stocks was called The Game That Is GameStop. The meme stocks refer to a group of stocks thought to be driven by mostly novice day traders, spurred on by the common threat of social internet bloggings, specifically but not limited to Reddit and Wall Street bets. Visitors to these and other social media sites communicate with each other on the site. And like a stampeding herd of buffalo, once they get started, the herd start buying the stock flavor of the day. A new phenomenon in the world of stock trading, the meme group is not a concerted group at all. It's just a whole bunch of people, unrelated by blood or otherwise, all moving without a single directive, but moving in mass nonetheless. Their unstated but rumored purpose was to burn Wall Street traders who bet against certain stocks, hand them their proverbial monetary heads, and make lots of money in the process. Called short sellers, the understanding of the mechanics of how Wall Street traders bet against a stock can be elusive to some. To keep things simple, just know that Wall Street firms also bet against the stock, hoping it will go down, and making money in the process. Until a few short months ago, there was no one group that might compete with these Wall Street firms. In other words, although other traders could take the opposite bet and take positions on the long side, where they make money when the stock goes up, there was no one group large enough that could legally pressure a stock in one direction or the other. Although it is illegal to be a concerted group and purposely manipulate a stock up or down, by buying or selling massive amounts, a stock could be moved by larger firms. 
Enter the meme traders. Not really an organized group, the sheer numbers of the readers and bloggers who had some money and attended the same social media pages would start to buy a stock that a Wall Street group or groups had bet against. With millions of bloggers all pointed in the same direction, they started initially buying GameStop and AMC Entertainment, a movie chain. There have been other meme stock targets as well, driving these stocks up many times over. The losses to some professionals were massive, as their losses mount, because of the logistics of how the bet is unwound. These same firms were forced to buy the very stock they had bet would go down. The buyback is called a short squeeze, and it just drives the stock even higher. The novelty was that the meme group was widespread, had massive buying power due to their sheer numbers, and since they were only related to each other through the web, the laws concerning illegal stock manipulation did not apply to them. The memes were semi-quiet for a few weeks, as news media and Washington regulators dabbled in discussions about the strange new concern. That was until last week, when the meme tsunami hit again, and GameStop began another ascent, not to be undone. AMC Entertainment got top honors this time around as it rocketed upwards, climbing upwards of 30% or more in a 24-hour period and tripling in just a few days. A handful of other stocks were also rumored to be on the hit list of the memes, and they rotate in and out at various times. The Wall Street crowd, at least some of them, are starting to cry foul, while others claim the memes are doing nothing wrong, as they are not really a group at all. Washington loud mouths are also split on their take on the whole thing. The for the people usual suspects are cheering the memes on, saying stick at the Wall Street, while the money from the traders and the hedge funds are bending the ears of those politicians susceptible to such things. After all, money and politics do go together on occasion. To this analyst, it all speaks to just another sign of excessive froth and speculation in the overall markets, but I must admit it's fun for me to watch. One reason for my amusement is there's so much money being made and lost on this circus. Wall Street pros, who normally wouldn't follow a Facebook type of platform, let alone trade on it, are analyzing the momentum of these massive moves and trading on the coattails of these stocks, adding that much more volatility to the action. When the Wall Street trading crowd dip their toes into the proverbial water, you know there's a heck of a lot of money going around. No one knows whether this thing will end up in court, become a new paradigm in the market, or just fade into oblivion. One thing is for sure, however, for now, the meme traders have everyone's attention. That's it for today's Money Matters. The opinions expressed here are my opinions only and may not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, any bank, or advisory firm, and is not to be construed as investment advice. I own California Insurance License OLC42249 and am a Medicare-approved agent in the state of California. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening. That's our newscast tonight, Tuesday, June 1st, 2021. We get support from California Solar Electric Company, a locally owned solar cooperative. California Solar Electric Company is a SunPower Elite dealer, designing and installing residential, home battery storage, and commercial solar systems in Nevada County since 2000. Information 
cal-solar.coop. And Zelmer Law Group, a real estate and business law firm with offices in Nevada City and Santa Rosa. Jay Zelmer has been practicing law in California since 1983. More information online at zelmerlawgroup.com. I hope you'll stay with us. Coming up next is Educationally Speaking. And at 7 p.m., we bring you Democracy Now! Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow.